Marcus Sahaba, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Once again, ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban to this edition of Truthful Connection. And we will now be presenting our final segment, which is called Biladul Muslimin. And it is presented by Hafiz Abu Bakr Sidat Hafizahullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Hafizah. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Maaf, we're starting a bit late, but there's no problem. You can go a bit uh, beyond 9 a.m. And uh, the microphone is now yours to go on with your segment. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Jazalana Muhammadin Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Welcome to the inaugural launch of our program, Bilad al-Muslimin, the land of the Muslims. Only on Marqa Sahaba, the voice of the Ahli Sunnah wal Jamaat. I am your host, Abu Bakr Siddhat. We begin our program on the 3rd of March, 2024. On this day, exactly 100 years ago, on the 3rd of March, 1924, a great calamity, disaster, catastrophe was visited upon the Muslim Ummah at the hands of not only by the victorious Allied forces in the aftermath of the First World War, but also by the ultra-nationalist Young Turks under the leadership of Mustafa Kemal. These Young Turks were based in uh, Turkey, and uh, they were ultra-nationalists in uh, trying to overthrow the Ottoman Empire. It was the destruction of the system of Islam as a global superpower, and the occupation and relegation of Muslim domination as a dependent, broken nation. Islamic Khalifa that was in operation for some 600 years was abolished. Nationalism had brought the demise of the Khalifa. In fact, the people from the day when Darul Uloom, Molana Nanotri and them made an an unbelievable effort uh, to restore the Khalifa. But Kamal Ataturk was bent on uh, destroying uh, whatever vestige of Islam was left in the Ottoman Empire, which has declined through various other factors also. And uh, in the national, Grand National Assembly in Ankara, on this day, they took a decision to abolish the Khalifa. And then the result was the creation of nation-states throughout the Muslim uh, world. As an introduction to the program, we pray that in the coming four, forthcoming episodes, we will be able to unravel the geostrategic locations, the history, including the times and tragedies, the politics and the people that make up the land of the Muslims. We will be also discussing the concept of, of politics in Islam, the economy of the Muslim world. Almighty Allah, through His grace and mercy, has blessed the Muslims with 57 countries and more than 2 billion adherents and growing throughout the world. We acknowledge that in Surah Araf, that is the height, verse 128, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphatically declared that the translation of the ayah, Indeed, the earth belongs to Allah alone. 
He grants it to whoever he chooses of his servants. The ultimate outcome belongs only to the righteous. And inshallah, we must make shukar to that Allah Ta'ala has given us the ultimate prize of having iman and belief in Tawheed and the Risala of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In another ayat, if you had suffered injuries, Allah Ta'ala says that if you had suffered injuries at Ohad, they suffered at Badr. We alternate these days of victory and defeat among people so that Allah may reveal the true believers, choose martyrs from among you. And Allah does not like the wrongdoers. And this is uh, verse 140 of Al-Imran. And distinguish the true believers and destroy the disbelievers. This is one to the ayat 141 that follows. You can see what is happening in Palestine today. That Allah Ta'ala has separated uh, those munafiks, the Arab countries and the Muslim leaders throughout the world who have not uh, taken uh, the step to send a drop of water to the people of Palestine, especially in Gaza and the West Bank. And uh, this is the situation of the Muslim Ummah at this stage. But at the beginning of the, the next hundred years, inshallah, inshallah, Allah Ta'ala will be ring about the revival of the Khilafah and uh, bring the Muslim Ummah to the realization that only the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the tariqah and the method of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will be what will be acceptable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in this is the success of the Muslim Ummah. We cannot be dependent on uh, the leaders uh, who have sold out our countries to the Western, uh, for Western hegemony. Now let us look at uh, the geostrategic location of the Muslim countries. Muslim countries are spread across the continent of Africa, especially in northwest and east of the continent. The countries spread across the continent from the shores of the Indian Ocean across the Sahel region to the icy cold waters of the Atlantic Ocean. The region is host to the largest Sahara Desert in the world and the Nile being the longest river. In the north, the countries are in the lap of the Mediterranean Sea, known also as the Levant. Presently also, the tragic theater of refugees seeking to cross the deadly waters to seek asylum in Europe. With the cradle of Islam, many countries are located in the Middle East. Some strategic choke points like the Babel Mandab in the Gulf of Aden and access to the Red Sea en route to the Suez Canal contribute to the economic survival of many countries on the global trade front. Then there is the Straits of Gibraltar along the Atlantic coast and just a stone's throw away from Morocco, giving access to the Mediterranean. And the remainder are situated in Central and South Asia along the Black and Caspian Seas. Here also the Straits of Hormuz, the Arabian Sea and the South China Sea contribute to the global trade routes settling Malaysia and Indonesia. Alhamdulillah, I think uh, the Muslim countries are situated in such a situation, uh, such a position that they play a vital role in giving access uh, to global trade. We can see what is happening in the Babel Mandab region and the access to the Great Sea where the route is taking control of those uh, ships that are transporting goods for the Zionist regime of Israel. 
And uh, this has practically dropped uh, the Israeli economy by more than 20%. And the control of these checkpoints will determine the future of uh, Palestine and uh, the Arab countries in the, in the not-too-distant future. In Europe, the precarious existence of Bosnia and Herzegovina, we remember the massacre and the genocide of uh, Srebrenica, Bosnia Herzegovina is one of those countries that went through a genocide by the Serbs in the 80s. And uh, this massacre killed more than 8,000 uh, Bosnians during uh, the massacres that were taking place. Then we also have Albania and Kosovo that represent the Muslim-majority countries in Europe. So these 57 countries, alhamdulillah, have... Uh, are spread throughout the world, and we must not forget that in every nook and corner of the world there are Muslims uh, who have uh, either emigrated from their homelands and settled down in uh, other countries, Western countries, in Africa, in uh, Europe, and uh, in, uh, far, in the Far East, and in uh, Australia and New Zealand. Just to go back a uh, bit uh, during the time of uh, the destruction of the Khilafah system, the Allied powers uh, created a situation in uh, Turkey at the Battle of Gallipoli where the ANZAC troops, that is the Australian and New Zealand uh, troops, were stationed fighting uh, the forces of uh, Mustafa Kemal. And they left them to die in their thousands just to create a situation which will uh, enable the Allied powers to take control of uh, what we call today uh, Palestine. This was the region known as Sham. The historical paradigm of Muslim countries with the spread of Islam, the early experience of Muslim countries, painted the canvas of the history with unparalleled progress and development and peace and security and cultural trouble tolerance and tragedies that boggle the mind. Ibn Asir, the historian and the author, who recorded the Mongol onslaught bandits history by decrying the fact that was it not for posterity, he would have refrained from recording the events of the Mongol invasion. The era of the Holy Prophet wasallam, seen to the consolidation of Islam in the Hijaz and over the advent of the Khulafai Rashidin, we experienced the spread of Islam to Africa and the wider Middle East and Asia to India and China. The Umayyads and the Abbasids were at the helm of Islamic affairs with the Mongol invasion of Baghdad and followed by the Crusades in the 11th century. The seeming death knell of Islam was celebrated by the enemies of Islam. But Allah, Allah is the best of planners. Islam rose even stronger with the Mongol hordes that destroyed Baghdad coming into the fold of Islam and spreading the message in the Asian steppes. The Futuhat, which is the opening of Al-Andalus, by the progeny of the former, that is the Umayyad, Abdurrahman, the first, was born in 1756 and passed away in 788, 756 and passed away in 788, Known as the Falcon of Spain and Tariq bin Ziyad, the Berber freedman of the governor, Musa bin Nusayr, were instrumental in opening up Andalusia. 
though it is now out of the hands of the Muslim countries, but the influence that it had on the civilization of uh, Europe and uh, the Renaissance uh, for more than 800 years, Alhamdulillah, till today, I think the Western world is, uh, pays homage to the developments that had taken place in Andalusia. Sheikh Salahuddin Ayyubi Ramatullah in the 12th century, 12th century liberated Sham, especially Palestine, during the Battle of Itin under the guidance of Nuruddin Zengi Ramatullah The Uthmanli Empire thrived for six centuries, and the so-called Ottoman Caliphate strived to spread Islam to the borders of Vienna. In 1453, the young Muhammad al-Fatih brought to fruition the fulfillment of the hadith of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam regarding the conquest of Constantinople and renamed it. And this is very interesting. At that time of the conquest of Constantinople, it was named Islam Pole, which was changed to Istanbul. That was the final blow for the Byzantine Empire in the East. The rise of aggressive Western imperialism and colonialism led to the demise of the Mughal Empire in India in 1857. And in the aftermath of the First World War in 1918, the end of the Islamic Caliphate system in Turkey and the balkanization of the Middle East between the Allied forces of Britain and France through the Sykes-Picot Agreement heralded the new nation-states of the Muslim world. 1948 also saw the creation of the illegal Zionist state of Israel with the occupation of Palestine through the issuance of the Balfour Declaration in 1917. And uh, till today, we are paying the price. We know more than 30,000 men, women, and children have been slaughtered in uh, the genocide that is taking place in uh, Gaza. And uh, the British has been inst- had been instrumental in creating uh, divisions in the Muslim world. We know the story of Kashmir in India. Now uh, what is taking place in uh, uh, Palestine also was the creation of uh, a British mandate that was given at the end of the First World War to the British. And uh, the British then decided uh, through the United Nations to grant a homeland through the Balfour Declaration to the Zionists, and uh, for the last 75 years, our Palestinian brothers, more than 7 million, have been made refugees and in, in, uh, staying out of uh, Palestine, and more than 6 million are in Palestine and living under conditions that uh, can only be described as uh, pathetic and uh, nothing in regard uh, to the upholding of human rights and treatment of an occupation people. In fact, Israel has an next land in 1967, more than 22%, and now only 12% of original 1948 Palestine is in existence. And Gaza, the so-called open-air prison, where there is in prisons also there was some dignity, this was besieged by the Israelis, uh, the Zionists, for the last 15 years. And uh, I think uh, what is taking place, inshallah, for the, uh, within the next few years, we will see the beginning of the end 
of uh, the Zionist state uh, as it is uh, existing now. We also want to discuss the resources and the economy of the Muslim world. Muslim countries possess several advantages, including ideological strength rooted in Aqidah, that is faith, juridical advantages derived from the Sharia, that is the Islamic law, which cannot be changed at all. These are the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, the system and the sayings of uh, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that must be implemented in our life and uh, the natural advantages stemming, stemming from their geographical position, abundant natural resources and significant population. We can only imagine the potential of an ummah embracing the Islamic tenets of justice, finance and social cohesion. Zygne Brzezinski, the U.S. Secretary of State under Jimmy Carter, analyzed the potential of Muslim countries in these dramatic words. Understanding the true power and potential of nations when united is essential for shaping strategies, policies, and aspirations that could lead to a more prosperous and influential future for the Islamic world. In terms of human resources, the Muslim world makes up 25% of the world population and is spread across all the continents of the earth. Indonesia is the largest Muslim population. Outside the Muslim-majority countries, India hosts the largest Muslim minority population of over 200 million Muslims. And we know the condition under the BJP that Muslims are going through, and especially the situation of Kashmir uh, regarding the plebiscite that was promised in 1948 at the time of the independence of India and Pakistan. But this has not come to fruition, and this control of Muslim land has been, uh, and uh, the destruction of, uh, and the killing of Muslims has been an ongoing uh, sore for the uh, international community. The United Nations, the IOC, that is the uh, organization, OIC, the Organization of the Islamic Conference, have been reluctant to implement uh, the United Nations promise of the plebiscite for Kashmir. And the same thing is happening with the occupation of uh, Palestine, that uh, Israel has taken more and more control with more than 700,000 settlers who have settled in uh, occupied Palestine. And they have got plans now also for to build another 3,000 settler colonies within occupied Palestine. Where must the Muslims go from there? Muslim countries with a substantial population include, among others, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Indonesia, Turkey, Nigeria, and obviously the Middle East. Oil and gas production is the main income source followed by grains and meat for food and steel for industrialization. When we talk of grains, we're talking of wheat, fruit, citrus fruit, etc. The tragedy is that uh, the Muslim countries have leased most of the arable land to companies uh, like uh, Monsanto and uh, the like uh, for cultivating, and uh, no control is being held in the hands of the Muslims. 
where only small farmers uh, have been uh, has got some pieces of land which they cultivate. But the big uh, cultivation areas like Turkey, Iraq, uh, Syria, most of the land is owned by the white uh, and western multinational corporations uh, pursuing their own personal interests. Regarding the gross domestic product that is the GDP, the Muslim world in terms of purchasing power parity is in the range of about 22.2 trillion US dollars or 17.48% of the world. In comparison, China is at 26.7 trillion and the USA at 22.9 trillion US dollars respectively. Notwithstanding the scale of poverty and the highest displacement of Muslims in various countries as refugees, the GDP of the combined Muslim world is in the fourth place after the USA, China, and the European Union. What do these statistics and data indicate? And here is the sad reality. The GDP per Muslim individual, as of the above figures for the Muslim world, should be on an average be about $7,360 per annum. The glaring imbalance in the distribution can be attributed to various factors, including among others. The power imbalance and in that the locus of power is concentrated in the offices of a selected elite or oligarchy. The rampant corruption among those who wield power the bureaucracy, the judiciary, and the religious leaders, and nepotism, with no accountability, exacerbates the cooperation of state institutions in aiding and abetting corruption. The imbalance in the provision, or rather non-provision, of education, health, and work opportunities promotes a culture of abject poverty and dependency. In many instances, the status is taken for granted. And the biggest factor is the fear factor, acceptance of one's fate in the strata of society. In fact, at the street level, those who are given authority also abuse this as a means of engaging in activities that negates any form of judicial rectitude. Inshallah, I think we have come to the end of our program. Let Allah make it easy. This was an introduction, and in the future programs, Inshallah, we will conclude with what is politics in the Muslim world and the status of the Ummah. And then we will go on to the first country that we will visit will be Afghanistan. And I think we know the history of Afghanistan. Uh, after 20 years under occupation by the United States of America, it was uh, practically handed on a plate uh, to the Taliban. But this was not without any any sacrifice. More than 600,000 Afghanis were killed in the process over the 20 years that the Americans uh, occupied Afghanistan. But today, alhamdulillah, the Islamic Emirates of Afghanistan it's got the best uh, currency, the strongest currency in the world, according to Bloomberg. And uh, I think we go, go through a very interesting history. 
I am your host Abu Bakar Sidat signing off uh, until we meet again next week. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaikumussalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakumullah khair al brother Hafiz Abu Bakar Sidat. May Allah Azza wa Jalla bless you and benefit us with your knowledge. Marcus Sahaba, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah.